Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, I mean, I always knew of Dolly Parton, but I, then I went in deep and I was like, wow, her songs are making, they make me feel really good. And then I was like, I wonder if she has an audiobook. And then I found Dream More. And it's just pure positivity and, you know, just love. And I felt like I had a best friend because I was alone and it felt so nice to hear someone just be saying things like, you got to believe in your dreams and, <laughs> and just, and I always knew I was going to be a star. My family said no, and I, but I knew it. You know, she had this, just so much faith and I think I was <laughs> spiraling. So it made me have hope again. Uh. <laughs> hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's editor-in-chief, Patrick Gomez, and this week we'll be hearing from SNL star and host of the Independent Spirit Awards, Melissa Villasenor. But first, it is finally here. It is Oscars week. Uh, for many obvious reasons, this year's telecast is going to look very different from past ceremonies. But to break down everything we know about it so far, with me is the AV Club's managing editor, Eric Adams. Eric, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, well, it seems like this ceremony has been something that we've been anticipating for like six years at this point, because it's been so delayed from when it normally is much earlier in the year. Uh, I know us at the AV Club are kind of ready for award season to have its uh, have its final moment. <laughs> it's been a long one, and there's been just so many details about this ceremony in particular uh, that we've been tracking all the while, so it'll be very interesting to see how and if it even comes together. I mean, talk about a conversation that we've been having over and over and for a long time. Like, this does feel a little bit similar to conversations that we were having when we started this show last summer, just about, like, well, what are the Emmys going to look like? How are they going to be able to do it remotely? And now we've, you know, we've gone through a full cycle the Oscars are kind of the culmination of that cycle, and it really feels like they're pulling out all the stops possible to make this a safe show, but also a show that still reflects a little bit what a regular Oscars would be like, uh, which I think is kind of fitting because the 92nd Academy Awards were really kind of that last moment of feeling like everything was normal. It was that last big pre-COVID thing that we all got to share in. So, you know, fingers crossed that uh, this year's Oscars kind of kicks us off into emerging from our groundhog hovels and hobbit holes uh, as more of us are vaccinated uh, and more of us can return to some semblance of normalcy. That's a really beautiful way to put it, that it is it is luckily coming at a time that it can serve as sort of a bookend of like, that was our last big hurrah before everything shut down. And now here we are, you know, coming out of our cocoons, hopefully uh, better people in 2021. Um, 
But to your point, you know, it still is going to look very different. And we've been talking a lot about that. Last week on Push the Envelope, we discussed how, you know, we know some of the people that are presenting and the fact that it's going to have these satellite locations, not just around the world, but also even within Los Angeles. Again, you know, we're going to have the the Dolby Theater, which is where the ceremony traditionally has taken place uh, for the past couple decades, but then also uh, down at Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. Exactly. Um, And, you know, so it'll look and feel different while they're still trying to evoke as much of um of the classic feeling of the Oscars as possible and you know obviously one of the one of the hallmarks of a good Oscar show or maybe not a good Oscar show is that it lasts way longer than any of us ever think it will or want it to <laughs> um and that is uh being officially expanded this year some of the news that we've gotten uh since our last episode is that there is now going to be an official um I want to use the words uh, they used here on the on the press release, which is a, like a, almost a pregame, postgame situation for for the show, and it'll start uh, an hour and a half before the actual ceremony telecast with Oscars into the spotlight, which will be a special hosted by uh, Hamilton and the prom star Ariana DeBose uh, and comedian Lil Rel Howery, and so that'll be ninety minutes of highlights of Oscars journeys and features on the actors and sneak peeks into the uh, events that are going to be coming. Um, and we're no stranger to to pre-shows. You know, these red carpet shows, if you look at E's red carpet show, I think they start coverage at like noon on Sundays leading up to it. So of course, we're used to all this, but this is the first time that the official show, obviously, instead of a red carpet special, will have like this weird uh, extended pre-packaged special that'll have appearances by a DJ Tara. Um, so there will be music moments. Like it'll be really interesting. Um, and the biggest thing that's happening during that though is that we actually won't get the performances of the original songs as we normally do during the telecast. Those will happen during this pre-show. Eric, what, what are your thoughts on, on this, uh, 90 minute adventure that they're asking us to go on? Well, I feel like the, use of pregame and postgame is very apt. This does feel like kind of, you know, the sportsification of uh, of an award show. And, you know, that makes sense because I think there are a lot of correlations between sports fandom and kind of following uh, the Oscars or the Emmys or the Grammys, the way that the way that there are rooting interests and the way that like statistics really factor into the way that people follow these things the way that they follow sports so it's 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 very interesting to me to to also hear you talk about like these these video packages and journeys like it really seems like they're taking a cue from a, a super bowl coverage and olympics coverage and kind of applying it to this oscars ceremony where we can't do the usual traditional customary things that lead into that ceremony because there's no red carpet. There are no in-person interviews to be had. So this is uh, this is kind of what you get in return. Uh, in terms of taking the song performances out of the ceremony, I'm very curious to hear what you feel about that, Patrick. I think like it's going to remove a very crucial element of dynamics from the ceremony that, you know, maybe the performances aren't anybody's real favorite part of the ceremony, but they are a good way of breaking things up, of introducing a different element so that it's not just presentation after presentation after clip package after presentation. 
Yeah, that's actually always my biggest complaint about the Emmys, uh, is that, you know, they don't, you know, aside from the years that they've chosen to highlight the best choreography or other other musical or or talent moments, you know, it is just speech after speech after speech after package, and then you get your in memoriam as maybe your one musical moment. Um, I've always thought that that's something the Oscars has done really well, is pepper through these really dynamic performances. And so to not have those be part of the ceremony, I fear... That being said, they may be surprising us with a ton of other performances and and things to shake it up. So so maybe they still will have those dynamics at play um, without these performances. But it does seem a little sad to me as well because I feel like it, you know it's similar to the year that um, Beyonce sang all the all the nominated songs, and it's like great, like loved seeing Beyonce perform, and and obviously she's a powerhouse. But I always felt bad for the nominated performers of those songs because it's like, oh, I was looking for, you know, this is their Super Bowl, um, and they and they suddenly are are being replaced by Beyonce. So I guess if you're going to be replaced by someone, it, it would be her that you would <laughs> want it to be. But at the same time, like I feel like these performers, um, Celeste and her, Leslie Odom Jr., Laura Pausini, uh, Daniel Pemberton, Molly Satan, and uh, Diane Warren, they are not going to have their moment as they normally would. And I think that that's not, you know, I, I feel for them because you know, this is their, it is their Olympics, it is their Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I think you're totally right to compare it, as they did with pregame, postgame, to a sporting event. And it reminds me of a conversation I was having with my dad a few weeks ago, where he was like, oh, and I saw this movie, and and what's the name of that person that's nominated? And I'm able, of course, because of what we do, rattle them off. And he's like, I don't know how you keep track of that. And my response to him was directly like, I don't know how you keep track of every person that they've even considered to recruit to the Dallas Cowboys, but you know all of them and their statistics. And and he was like, I guess that's true. So yeah, I mean, for for those of us that follow this as though it's, um, you know, the Super Bowl, it's, it's, it's a big change. It's a big change. Uh, and we not only get this change at the beginning, we get a change at the end as well. After the uh, ceremony is done, we will have Oscars After Dark, which is way more PG than it sounds. I think they could have made it really interesting. Um, but no, it's going to be a special um, hosted by Fear of the Walking Dead and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom star Coleman Domingo, as well as Andrew Rannells. Uh, and they are going to have interviews that are done by film critic Elvis Mitchell, talking to winners and recapping what's happened, um, replaying must-see moments. I mean, it really is a post, it's a post-game. They're going to play us the highlights. They're going to, you know, talk to the to the big parties of the evening. Um, again, just extending our Oscars event, which on paper, I guess, if you're a big Oscars fan, is exciting. But at the end of the day, I think all of us are kind of ready to hang up our hats and have a glass of wine and go to bed when this show is over. <laughs> I mean, it's a good way of filling the airtime, I suppose. Like, it does... The thing I was thinking about when you were talking about how much time this occupies is that, like, from a programming perspective, like, somebody at ABC must be breathing a sigh of relief that they have this so much time on Sunday just blocked off for the Oscars and that they, you know, that's uh, that's a little bit of programming in a now programming agnostic era of television that they don't have to do. Uh, but it does sound there's there's a certain air of kind of like uh, 60s sophistication to Oscars after dark, especially if you, <laughs> with uh, with Elvis Mitchell doing the interviews. It kind of feels like this kind of Dick Cavett-esque approach 
to doing the the Oscar post show where you're going to get a little bit, you know, maybe it's going to be a little bit more of an insight driven interviews than you would have gotten as uh, on the red carpet or as as people are going through to the press conferences that are, are backstage. Uh, I may be speaking here just from a sort of critical bias, but uh, I really look forward to possibly seeing some of these uh, conversations that Elvis is having uh, if I'm still awake. <laughs> well, you know, but to your point in terms of it taking up such a large block of programming, um, I'm also intrigued if that's going to ultimately be a win for ABC or not. I, I, You know, we've seen some pretty dramatic ratings changes for a lot of these award shows this past year as people maybe aren't as excited to see those like live in-person moments uh, since we're getting a lot of pre-taped stuff or Zoom stuff. So I I will be intrigued what the ratings come in for these Oscars. And at the end of the day, are they going to be like, man, we should have put on reruns of Castle? Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's a big bet, especially in a year where everything seems so uncertain when you're dealing with a slate of films where it's kind of hard to tell, like, just how wide-reaching some of these movies were, uh, where most of these movies, all of these movies, really, were viewed by people in their homes and away from the regular theatrical experience. So maybe there's less personal investment than you would have uh, in in other years, and maybe a lot of lesser-known films, lesser-known filmmakers up for the awards. So it's really, like, it's placing a lot of faith and hope in the draws of stuff like Nomadland and uh, Promising Young Woman that this particular crop of movies and stars and everyone that they're booking for these these shows and that they've announced as being part of the ceremony so far will really keep people around for that long. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I could see it going a couple different ways because I do feel like because all these films were released on demand for the most part and were viewable at home, you know, something like Nomadland that would have only maybe played at art house theaters had it been a normal year maybe would have gotten lost in the shuffle to the point that it wasn't getting as much attention as it is now. But because it, you know, has been released on streaming, you know, like my mom watched it the first week it was out because she was always, she's always looking for something new to watch. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's, you know, a lowbrow um, action movie that she can barely follow because there's no plot or if it's something like Nomadland, like she's like, well, it's the new thing on Hulu this week. So I'm watching it. Um, so I, I do wonder if, if there's less buzz because it's not like, we're not talking box office numbers and it's not like maybe generating these huge conversations because it's not in the theaters. But I'm hoping that this actually was a year that more people watched more of these movies than ever before because um, they were made available in ways that they wouldn't have been in other years. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, I do think that because none of these films are juggernauts and, and none of them have, you know, I feel like if there is a front runner, Nomadland is definitely one of them. But there's been enough surprises at some of these other award shows that I do feel like everything's a little up in the air, which is exciting to me. I don't know. Do you feel the same way? No, definitely. And I feel like, you know, if I were in charge of promoting this ceremony at ABC or as part of the Academy, like that's what I would be playing up 100%. And it it feeds into the sports analogy again, too. Like, this really is like a Super Bowl, like a championship game. You really don't know what's going to happen. And that's the big draw, that there is this certain unpredictability that 
that there are surprises up the sleeves of Steven Soderbergh and his co-producers that, you know, this, this will be, if nothing else, a unique Oscars ceremony, and that's reason enough to tune in. Well, I 100% agree with that. And we will see if it is uh, all those things in a good way or a bad way. Or <laughs> or the worst would be if it was that way in a boring way. Uh, um, yes. And let's, let's hope that that's not the case. Of course, all of us at the AV Club will be watching with bated breath and covering it exhaustively on avclub.com on Sunday evening. As uh, we've mentioned before, the ceremony starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, but you can start with Oscars into the spotlight uh, at <laughs> 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you know, being based in LA, I'm glad at least I will be done earlier than you all uh, in Chicago will be that evening. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be a late morning. (laughs) That is for sure. But, uh, now we switch over to the Independent Spirit Awards, which air tonight, actually, on IFC at 10 p.m. Eastern. The Independent Spirit Awards are always a few days before the Oscars and can be a good indicator of how some films will succeed there. But this year, there's actually some films up for the big awards at the Independent Spirit Awards that aren't even up for Oscars, like First Cow, which, Eric, I know our film editor, A.A. Dowd, would be very excited to root for as it was our number one film of the year last year uh, and is not even nominated at the Oscars. So that's something that's super exciting about the Independent Spirit Awards. And we got a chance to chat with the host of that ceremony, Melissa Villasenor of Saturday Night Live. Uh, so let's take a little bit of a listen to that conversation that she had with our very own Mara Eakin. Hello. <laughs> so I guess first things first, you're hosting the Film Independent Spirit Awards. Like, how are you sort of like, especially qualified for this? Like, are you a big indie film lover do you have an independent spirit like what what makes you want to do this both both yes i i'm i'm a very independent gal um (laughs) i have a backpack you know i'm ready um and uh i I, yeah i think i've always loved indie films there's something real special and sweet about them Uh, what's the first one that you can remember making like a really big impact on your life oh boy i don't know off the top of my head which one impacted me like, I mean, Eternal Sunshine, I felt like that. Was that focus features? Is that or no? Michelle Gondry, though, I think you could say is like fully in like the independent vein. Was like when they called you to do this, was it hard to wrap your head around it? Like, you know, I know you've been doing SNL, so you have some experience of like doing comedy during the pandemic, but sort of figuring out like what is an award show when we can't, you know, when we're not all at the Barker Hangar or whatever in Santa Monica? I know. I mean, I don't know any different with, with the hosting gig, but yeah, I mean, with the audience, obviously it'd be way, way, way more fun, but I felt like I did a really good job because it's pre-taped. So there's a lot of scenes, uh, sketches where I'm doing impressions. And then the monologue was my favorite being myself and, and going through the jokes. Um, and it was just like a night and day difference of, yeah, the first few rounds I taped it, no audience. And then later, once I got more familiar, we brought in the crew, the camera crew and stuff to sit spread out in the audience. And I mean, it was a blast. So I, I, and we got great laughs on that. So I I hope they use that one too. (laughs) But I, yeah. And then I was like, wow, imagine if it was a full room, that, that, that'd be so fun. And I felt really good about, I, I feel like I could be hosting more. I got really, I was, I'm very proud of myself. Because I, I I could share so much impressions and acting and singing. 
and being funny on my own. So it's pretty cool. Did you have to learn any new impressions? Like, did you have to figure anything out? Well, I felt like I got a little bit of Carrie Mulligan from Promising a Woman. There was a little scene where I'm playing her and I, I didn't start feeling her, how she, her mannerisms were until I got in her, the, the suit she wears in the bar in the first scene. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I started feeling like I was learning it then in that moment. But I didn't prep any. I, I, there's a, the impressions I did for the show are from, you know, like past hosts who have hosted Spirit Awards. Because um, there really wasn't a lot of impressions that I could do for from the movies this year that are nominated. Yeah. You know, an Alan Kim uh, in your yeah, top yeah. 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wanted to work on Frances McDormand, but then they had this other angle, which is also really funny, but for Nomadland. But yeah, I think we got a good good mix of impressions in there you were on SNL I mean like you worked with then you went and worked with Carrie Mully <laughs> like did that it was really cool and you know what we're the same size <laughs> because that they brought that same suit she physically wore in the movie and they had me try it on and I was like wow me and Carrie Mully <laughs> <Pretty cool. laughs> well speaking of SNL I have a question and it's about um Joe from Soul um, I follow a bunch of the like, the 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 cast members online, and I noticed that um, the Joel from Soul character is a is a common feature in a lot of people's photos. He does he live in Heidi's dressing room? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, so they let, so Heidi got to keep him. They made him for the <laughs> sketch. Oh, it's trippy. Sometimes I go in there, hey Heidi, and I see the body, and I'm like, oh my god, that's not a real person. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. But he's so warm and cuddly. You have to, you have to wrap his arms around you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, sweet Heidi. I love the sort of like sub storylines going on with like, you know, is Bowen married to Ego or is Bowen married to Randy? Like all the, you know, all those kind of fun storylines too that are existing like independent of the show. <laughs> so you have a comedy tour coming up. How have you, like, I know, you know, it's been hard to do comedy during the pandemic, at least stand up, unless you're going to do it on, like, Zoom. How have you sort of, like, been working on your set and, like, building sort of, like, what's going into that? Well, this hour is from, I mean, all these past years, I, it's eight years of material. So I've had this hour ready. And actually, I was going to tape it last summer, but then the pandemic happened. And so I had to hold off. Um so now I've been doing outdoor gigs in LA when I'm home. Um, Zoom shows are a little tough. I kind of put a, put a pause on those ones. But now that everyone's getting more vaccinated and things are opening up again, I, I mean, when I go on tour, I'll be doing comedy clubs, which will be great because that'll be, there's going to be so many shows that I'll feel brushed up again. I mean, what's that? Is that the right word? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'll feel better about the hour as I get a lot of practice, and then by the time I get home to LA, I'll take the special, which is exciting because I've been wanting to do that for a while and in a comedy album, you know. How do you feel about being back in clubs? Like, it's it's interesting, you know. Our our band's gonna put stipulations on who can, you know, you know people with vaccines. Is it venues? Like, are certain crowds gonna be better vaccinated than others? Like, how do you feel about all that? I feel fine. I feel, look, I, I tell every place, no one in the front row, if they're far enough, 
I feel okay. No one, there's no meet and greets, mm-hmm. sadly, but I feel fine. I think it's, I'm getting warmed up. I actually did a show this weekend at Pump Springs. Everyone was so spread out. I felt, I felt good. I think, I think especially as we work towards the summer too, like that's going to be happening more and more. Yeah. It's lovely to have the connection with the crowd again, for sure. Um, You mentioned you were going to tape the special last year. Um, How do you sort of like, you know, there's, a lot of comedy specials out there. Like, how do you envision sort of your special in a way that's like, here's what my special, like, you know, I want this little intro on it or like, I want it to look like this when we shoot it or whatever, like that makes it a little different. Well, so last summer, this was, I got this idea for the special, but I started performing in people's front yards and backyards and I performed in my friend's tree house. She had a tree house in the backyard for her kids. And I went up there in the top and I was like, Oh my, my, Comedy became funnier because I felt all my bits are pretty silly and childlike. So I felt more like a kid and I felt really strong up there because I was really high up, you know, <laughs> really powerful. I mean, um, and so then at the beginning of this year, I was like, I could, my comedy could totally work outside for like in front of a tree house. So my dad, he's a fence guy. He, he builds a lot of stuff. So he's going to make a little tree house and I'm going to perform in front of it in the backyard. And I, I was like that, that idea came from this whole past year. Yeah. And there's like inner cuts. There'll be like little moments too, where there'll be little interviews with my family. Cause there's a, a lot of my hour is the core of it is, is my family and my personal life. So it's, it's cool. Um, I was watching you on, I think, Alan, and you were talking about sort of like how, you know, right when you were like 16, 18, you were like, let's go to club. Like, let's do comedy. Let's do this. Like, how does your family feel about, the material you do about them and like just about like your your whole your career <laughs> well when i first started doing comedy there they really didn't like it and had <laughs> no no faith in it um and and then it wasn't until you know i started getting those first you know 20 bucks for a set they're like okay maybe she could make a living but then it, it grew and then thankfully you know america's got a talent that helped happen pretty early in my journey. And so I started headlining and then I was, you know, it changed a lot. And then, oh yeah. The bits about my parents, that stuff, I felt like I didn't really start working on bits about my family until, I don't know, six six years ago. Uh, The first part of the journey for, for many years was just celebrity impression bits. And then I got to this really sad place in my soul where I was like, I can't do this. Be just a puppet a, or a parrot. It just mm-hmm. people need to know me. I'm I'm funny, and I really had to work on my own voice and bits that didn't include um, impressions. So I have a nice mix of that. Um, my mom still has a hard time with the bits about her. She's like, I don't do. I didn't say that. Um, so, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, you did. <laughs> um, but they they love it. They they support me so much and man, they, they try to go to any show. If I'm home in LA, they're like, can we go? I'm like, just please just stay home for this one show. <laughs> they, they love it so much. And it's cool because they've been through it all. I mean, even the early years when I would t- have them take me to open mics in Hollywood or just some bar, you know, in the middle of nowhere, they got used to comedy early on with, you know, really vulgar, dirty comics. They've seen it all. My parents really have 
you know, and now they, and they love it. They have so many favorite comedians. And I think my mom, she loves Mark Maron and <laughs> I love Bill Burr. And just, it's just so funny to see them. So just edgy now. And <laughs> it's awesome. I've transformed them. <laughs> you famously did a thing about Dolly Parton earlier this year. And I, and I heard that that's because you got really like super into Dolly Parton sort of like over the pandemic. Like, you know, how did you get into her? What were you doing? Like, were you listening to the, the Dolly Parton podcast? <laughs> like, well, yes, I got into that for a bit. I think it started with, you know, I, I love classic rock and old, you know, just sunny kind of feel good songs. Right. And so then I stumbled upon some of her songs on a playlist, I think, but I mean, I always knew of Dolly Parton, but I, then I went in deeper and I was like, wow, her songs are making me, they make me feel really good and calm. And then I was like, I wonder if she has an audiobook." And then I found dream more. Um, <laughs> and it's just pure positivity and, and, you know, just love. And I felt like I had a best friend cause I was alone and it felt so nice to hear someone just be saying things like, you got to believe in your dreams and, <laughs> and just, and I always knew I was going to be a star. My family said no, and I, but I knew it. You know, she had this just so much faith. And I think I was <laughs> spiraling. So it made me have hope again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, and I, then I got into the Dolly Parton podcast, which was really, really good. And then, and then I, I didn't really figure out what, how to, get that impression in the show until I realized, well, December time, she was everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. she made that Christmas special Netflix, another holiday, uh, the Holly Dolly Christmas album. <laughs> <laughs> she was performing like she became the new Christmas queen. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta get Dolly in the show somehow. And then it wasn't until that week when that update premiered where I felt like, okay, I nailed it. But uh, it took me some time for sure. Is there anyone that you have tried to figure out an impression of and just can't? I mean, I haven't given a lot of time to it, but I re really love to learn Eugene Levy. Because <laughs> Heidi brought that up. She's like, I, I want to do Catherine O'Hare. I think you could do Eugene Levy because you could probably really look like him. I, just like, I think I can because there's been times where, you know, I've dressed up as a guy for the show. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, God, I look just like my dad, who's kind of has like a Eugene Levy look in a way. But... <laughs> So I would love, I mean, I, I get excited to do male impressions. So I don't know. I want to learn Martin Shorts too. I think you could, I can absolutely see both yeah. of those for you. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing them. Thanks. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's episode of Push the Envelope. You can check out Melissa Villasenor on the Independent Spirit Awards tonight, Thursday on IFC at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can also see her on tour across the country. And part of the proceeds of that tour do go towards supporting local comedy venues who have had a really rough 2020 and early 2021. So go have a laugh and support a good cause. You can check out the Oscars and all 15 hours of coverage of it on ABC starting at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. That's going to be on this Sunday, as well as our coverage on AV Club both Sunday evening and well into Monday. 
As for Push the Envelope, that's going to do it for season one of our podcast, but we will be back very soon to discuss the impending Emmy nominations, which really are just around the corner. Until then, you can find me on social media at Patrick Gomez LA, and of course, check out our continuing coverage of all things awards and entertainment on avclub.com. It's been such a pleasure to host this podcast, and I hope you'll join us for season two very soon. Until then, bye. This episode of the AV Club's Push the Envelope was brought to you by producer Michaela Heck and sound engineer Ryan Allen. 